Rudy Soto, class of 2011 from Portland State University, the first Native American student body president at PSU, an Idaho native, returned to Idaho and is now running for Congress, and now he has joined us. Rudy, it has been a long, long time, and I look forward to hearing your voice in about a second. Hey, Jefferson, it's good to be on here with you. Thanks for doing it. How are things in your world? How are you holding up during all this madness? You know, it's really just a, it's a wild time for all of us. And, uh, you know, you got to find the silver lining. So you know, I'm definitely doing that. And uh, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. Uh, it's unfortunate that it takes a pandemic and economic uncertainty and stability to bring into focus for people the importance of who our representatives are in, in, in government at all levels. But I think that's helping me a lot. And it, and it definitely gives me confidence that uh, I'll be able to forge a competitive race here. Well, what's your silver lining? I like that question. My lazy question tends to be, how you doing? I like the question, what's your silver lining better? What is your silver lining during the pandemic? Yeah, my, You know, my silver lining during the pandemic really has just been the, the opportunity for things to slow down some and to connect with people um, just in a you know, in a, in a, in a more uh, real way, you know, whether it means picking up the phone and calling people I hadn't talked to for a while or, you know, reconnecting with, you know, relatives near and far. There's just a sense of stillness that uh, wasn't around as much that I think puts, has, has allowed us to put things into perspective. And so it's, it's helped me uh, really, you know, solidify a lot of uh, relationships uh, with people that you know have always remained important, but life has been too busy for us to to maintain them. Sometimes, Trump won fifty nine point six percent of the vote in Idaho in twenty sixteen. What is the political landscape in Idaho now, particularly political landscape for a Democrat running for the United States Congress? Yeah, well, we have two you know two uh, Democrats you know at the top of the ticket here in the federal races that I think are of huge interest to people, Paulette Jordan for Senate and myself for Idaho's first congressional district. You know, Idaho is one of those places where, uh, you know, it's, it's had historical deep democratic ties. Uh, you know, oftentimes it depends with, it depends on where the country is at as a whole. So for instance, the last time a Democrat held the seat that I'm running for, Idaho's first congressional district was uh, Walt Minnick, and he won with the blue wave that swept Obama into office, and he was toppled with the Tea Party movement in 2010. So uh, when uh, voter turnout is its highest is really uh, when uh, you know a state and a district like mine is susceptible to uh, being flipped, essentially. The person you're running against, is this Russ Fulcher? Do I have that right? Yes, Russ Fulcher. He's a fringe member of the Freedom Caucus in the House of Representatives. He was the only member in Idaho's congressional delegation to vote against the Families First Coronavirus Response Act, the Phase 2 bill um, that you know helped provide for free testing, uh, paid sick leave, unemployment, uh, you know, food. Uh, food stamps for folks struggling uh, and he was the only one in the House of Representatives from any of the surrounding states from this whole corner of the country to do so and that's really par for the course for him 
Uh, he's just a hyper-partisan, and, uh, you know, that's one of the reasons why uh, we think he can be picked off here. So part of what it's so great to hear a voice. We can, you know, back in the earlier days of the bus project, you were the student body president at PSU. Uh, tell us more about your path from either to PSU or then from PSU and how you ended up where you are now. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, you know, my, my slogan here, interestingly enough, is a different kind of Democrat, which we think will, is helpful to, you know, not getting people just to think of labels. I, uh, you know, and I'm a different kind of Democrat in that I'm a different type of person running for, for Congress. You know, my story is really unconventional. I started off, you know, I, I, I'm a member of the Shoshone Bannock tribe. I'm the son of a Mexican immigrant. I grew up in poverty in public housing among circumstances that lead a lot of kids into trouble, which included myself. I bounced around in the juvenile correction system throughout my state between the age of 12 to 14 and ended up going to Portland, Oregon to live with my older brother who uh, got out of here because that's where, you know, he felt like he needed to go in order to forge a better future for himself because it was a different time then. There was less opportunity. And now where I live is a much popular place. Idaho's you know, really, uh, you know, busy and, and, and bustling. And it's a it's a attraction for a lot of people to move to. It wasn't that way growing up, and so, you know, I ended up uh, being a, a fortunate and and one of the lucky ones to not end up in the school to prison pipeline, because when I went to Portland, Oregon, because of the diversity, the support for education, social services, I was able to turn things around, go on to become the first in my family to graduate from from college, where I was elected, as you mentioned by my peers to serve as the student body president and went on from there to uh, enlist in the Oregon Army National Guard and go on to um, be a Hatfield Congressional Fellow to work in Washington, D.C. and continued my career at uh, non-profit, national nonprofit organizations, child welfare, public health, and economic uh, development, and then, off, and then to the U.S. House of Representatives as a congressional staffer, and so uh, Portland is really where all this kicked off for me. And so, you know, I'm looking to help people um, where I'm from not be left behind and to have a pathway to pursue their potential and to, you know, access a, a strong public education in the same way that I was. And you were a candidate for city council in Portland, weren't you, maybe back in 2010? That's right. Uh, I, you know, but, Funny enough, I was I was an intern for uh, the late uh, Nick Fish, uh, who you know I really admired and looked up to. I was a senior. I was finishing up at Portland State. While an intern for him, I ended up uh, deciding to run for city council myself. It shows you how driven I was to make a difference. So it was when they had public-owned elections. So I tried to qualify for public financing, didn't get it, but decided to stay in the race anyways. And it was a learning experience. I didn't raise money. I didn't try to. I wanted to learn the process and, 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 and go through, you know, basically learn the ropes. And so, you know, at that time, I, I definitely gained the understanding that there was a lot more that I needed to learn before I should ever try to do anything like that again. And so, you know, it's been um, a decade since, and uh, I just put myself into gaining 
uh, policy and legislative experience and connections and resources that would prepare me to, you know, do 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 what I can to uh, help, you know, create the change that we all need and, and deserve. For the last 10 years, you've been learning things. If you had to pick two of the biggest lessons you've learned that make you feel like you're in a better position to serving in public office now, what would they be? I would say you know, bold ideas require action and foresight in the moment. And so, you know, I pride myself as being a pragmatic progressive. And so, you know, you know, I, I basically learned where things are at now, and you know, that there's a lot of work it's going to take us to get to where we need to go. And so that's what I've been up to, and that's that's how I approach things. For instance, I'm really passionate about issues like immigration, uh, comprehensive immigration. But through my service in the Army National Guard, you know, I was deployed to the border to help enforce uh, those laws. My dad had been. Uh, had come here und- undocumented. And so, you know, it gives me a balanced perspective on the issue. So learning that there's different stakeholders and valid views and passionate opinions on, uh, you know, a variety of, of angles, and, and you got to try to bring people together. Um, and so uh, the other big issue that's really important to me is my core reasons for running, and that's uh, health care access. And affordability. My dad passed away prematurely in 2014 after being laid off from his factory job. Didn't have access to health care, uh, quality health care. And by the time we figured out what was wrong and he ended up in the ER, it, it was too late. He had a short time left to live. And, and that had a, a really you know, tough and, and traumatic impact on, on me and my family. But I dedicated myself to doing something about it. So I worked as a policy analyst and worked in states helping get more people uh, enrolled in Medicaid, Medicare, and Affordable Care Act um, insurance marketplace plans. And so really it's just the, you know, learning the importance of doing what you can, you know, where you are with what you have. But in 2018 here in my home state, Medicaid expansion passed with over 60% of the vote in 16 out of 19 counties in Idaho's first congressional district, the voters supported that. And so that gave me hope and inspired me that people will put partisan differences aside for the best interests of one another. And that's part of what brought me to run. So it's you know staying hopeful, but putting, putting the foundation underneath, you know, your dreams and aspirations. So it's got to be an uphill battle, right? This is a, this is a challenging race, but of course you're talking, you're running on healthcare. It's got to be wind at your back that the president has gone in to try to dismantle the healthcare of millions of Americans. That's got to be one of the bigger issues you're talking about, yeah? Oh yes, absolutely. You know, I just did a swing tour uh, through North Idaho, some of the reddest uh, you know, counties and, and and communities in the country. Uh, some would say, and I drew out crowds that were growing, you know, by uh, by the event, and and of course we implemented safe and social distancing measures by doing them out in open spaces and you know, wearing masks and having you know uh, gloves and and, and, and uh, sanitizer, and so we we think there's a way you can 
get out there and engage with people. But a big draw where, where uh, for, for folks, it seemed like was, you know, that my story resonated with them and that they struggle with, you know, costs or family members that, that have uh, certain struggles as it relates, relates to, you know, accessing health care. And, uh, and so that that resonated with people. Uh, we have huge problems with infrastructure, keeping up with the growth. Uh, you know, there's large swaths of, of land and territory out here that uh, there's no uh, reliable Internet access. So when kids are put out of school because of the pandemic, there's just, you know, a, a huge portion of them that just are totally left behind and uh, can't keep up with coursework. What and that's the, just shocking. Yeah, rural rural broadband is something that the Oregon legislature just appropriated some money for through a cell phone tax. That's a thing that, heck, we've been talking about since about 2010 when, uh, when I put together the uh, Broadband uh, Council in Oregon back in the day. The uh, Let's talk about some of the challenges you're facing in the race. Uh, and it's belied by, it's indicated by the fact that you brand yourself as a different kind of Democrat. That phrase, of course, something that you hope to be useful in a state that is, votes red for the most part, but has uh, does, as if you said uh, at different times in history, a significant big D Democratic tradition. You're also hoping for a big turnout. Uh, what are sort of the challenging things you have to face? What are the political barriers in your way? You get a lot of questions about, will you vote for Nancy Pelosi as speaker? What are the things that are bugging you on the race? Yeah, I'd say the biggest thing that's bugging me is name ID. You know, it's been a real struggle to break out in the local and statewide media. The print journalists are doing a great job of covering it, but outside of that, uh, I've, I've really had a tough time getting out there in front of more people. You know, I'll say, you know, folks on the on the right, you know, in the center, unaffiliated, as soon as they're they're learning about me, they're becoming excited. They're becoming engaged. They they feel connected to my story because you know I, I don't look and sound like most people they're used to, and and so you know just having them know about me is the biggest hurdle. And it's actually uh, it's starting. You can tell uh, through some of the you know I've seen uh, commentary about the concern um, amongst far right conservatives about candidates. About, about me because of that appeal to people regardless of party affiliation because I'm a veteran and so you know, basically you know being on this interview helps me a lot because it's helping people through word of mouth learn about me so I really appreciate you having me uh, on the show when it comes to uh, you know Nancy Pelosi uh, uh, national uh, democratic politics out of Washington D.C. I'm keeping a laser-like focus on the kitchen table issues that are most important to people. Of course, I'll weigh in with you know, my thoughts on the issues of the day that are, that are coming out of Washington. But most people are just focused on trying to make ends meet and you know, wanting a fair shot at the American dream. And that's where I think Democrats have a lot of opportunity. And so that's what my campaign has really been about, and it's resonated with people. There's just two congressional districts in Idaho. Did they split Boise down the middle to make sure that there wasn't a uh, that there wasn't a Democratic seat in the state? Absolutely, uh, they they did. It was gerrymandered, so that makes it tougher. Uh, but it's absolutely 
in no way, shape, or form unreachable. Uh, and so um, that's definitely uh, made it you know, more of a challenge. But in my home county of Canyon County, the second most populous, there's just an abundance of potential voters to bring into the fold that are you know, impoverished. Uh, you know, Hispanic uh, communities make up 20% uh, at 20% or more of, of the population that just you know haven't been as engaged politically because they haven't seen a candidate that looks like them. So, so I'm really excited to be getting a video out in Spanish soon to help you know really get out in front of those communities. And uh, you know we got to tap into the young people. So employing tactics I learned from the Oregon Bus Project will be paramount. And so I'm excited and looking forward to doing what we can um, in uh, in the midst of a pandemic where most of it's going to have to be, you know, digital and, and virtual and online and, you know, to reaching out by, by phone and in socially safe ways. We're talking to Rudy Soto, candidate for the United States Congress in Idaho, former candidate for city council in Portland and former student body president at Portland State University. Voting systems in Idaho. Y'all have vote by mail. How are you going to turn out the vote? Because that's the big challenge, right? Your opportunity might be to enfranchise a whole bunch of new people, energize a whole bunch of new people. As you said, the last time a Democrat won in a congressional seat in Idaho, it was based on big turnout. So that's voter registration and getting people to show up and vote. How do you show up and vote in Idaho? Yeah, so, you know, there's there's an ongoing debate. You know, we're seeing... News percolating about uh, leaders in the state that are not wanting to have it be a um, all male uh, election, which it certainly is looking like it needs to be and should be. Um, so that's something we're going to have to pay close attention to. And uh, you know, because of the pandemic, you know, it definitely should be you know an all male ballot election. And so we're going to be pushing for that. But outside of that. You know, a lot of it's just getting, you know, pushing uh, ads on social media, getting signs up, increasing visibility. Uh, you know, if you the, the, the one one key indicator for me that that leads me to believe that there's just so much opportunity for success here is if you were to go talk to any 10 people on the street anywhere in Idaho's first congressional district and ask them who their representative is, maybe maybe one, maybe one would know who that is. And the, the, the candidate I'm running against doesn't go out there and work to earn people's votes. So, you know, that's what I'm going to be, that's what I'm doing, that's what I'm going to be doing is getting out to every single county. I went to the U.S.-Canadian border uh, city of Port Hill in Idaho and kicked off my tour last week and made it to uh, four counties and we're going to be doing those kinds of tracks and trips uh, throughout from top to bottom uh, because, you know, just going into, you know, just going into a community, engaging with people is, is really uh, where it's at because if they don't see the other person and they don't even know who they are and it's just by default that they, that they win, there's, there's absolutely room to change that dynamic. I forget. I think of Idaho is just to our east. It's also to our north. Idaho is really long. How how long does it take to drive from the southern border of Idaho to the northern border of Idaho? You probably had to do it before. 
Yeah, I just ha- I just had to. Uh, so it takes about eight hours to to get from from top to bottom, and so I, you know, you definitely have to do it in pieces. But there's some it's beautiful land, and much of, there's a lot of it that's public land, so which we want to keep in public hands. And so you know, getting out there, especially this time of the year, is a privilege. Uh, you know, and so I'm I'm excited. To well, Rudy, the website is rudysoto.us. We're about to wrap, but thank you so much for being willing to go along with us and spend the time. It's great to hear your voice again, my friend. Thank you, Jefferson. I appreciate it. Take care, everybody.